Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue his Thursday through Friday message series this month on the tabernacle. Tom will finish teaching us today about the outer court. This message and previous messages are available at friendshipwithgod.org. When he put his hands over that animal and confessed it, he was as if he was making his own personal confession. I believe that God is going to send the seed of the woman. God is going to send the Messiah. God is going to send the Redeemer. God is himself is going to come, and my sin will be put on him like I'm doing right now by symbolism with this animal. And as the animal was killed, he was in essence saying, I believe that there will be the ultimate sacrifice to come. That ultimate sacrifice will be the seed of the woman, the Messiah, God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Promised to Adam after the first sin in Genesis 3.15. And he will come and he will take on himself my sins, all my sins, and he'll die for them. And as I do this and kill this animal, I am expressing my faith, my belief that God will do this as he has promised in his word. Now, another offering was the whole burnt offering, which a person would say, as we mentioned also before, he said, I want to give all myself to God. Then there was the dedicatory offering of the rams and so forth. Those two types of offering are referred to in Romans 12.1, where Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, those four horns of the altar and the flesh hooks, they speak of the self-determination of the Lord Jesus Christ to go all the way to the cross and die for our sins. It was not the nails of the cross that held the Lord Jesus Christ there. It was his great desire to please the Father. When he said... Father, if thou thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Those were like the flesh hooks of his self-determination to keep him there on that cross. Now, blood was smeared on those four horns, which again spoke of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that he gave up for our sins. When he said in John 10, 17 through 18, he said, therefore doth my father love me because I laid down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. He said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. It was the same thing he meant when he was at the Last Supper and he took up that cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the New Testament shed for you. The fact is that it was that altar that spoke of his great sacrifice. It was the flesh hooks that spoke of his self-determination to go all the way to the cross. And the fact that the altar itself never burned up because it was sealed, it speaks to us of the endurance of the Lord Jesus Christ. That endurance is what we said in Hebrews 12 too. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God, endured the cross. That endurance 
is, ref- is, is symbolized by the altar that never burned up. The brazen altar was the first thing you saw when you entered into the tabernacle. It was a dramatic scene. It was a scene of slaughtering of countless animals. It was, there was blood and the message was clear. God's way of salvation, God's terms for friendship with God, begins with a sacrifice and has nothing to do with what a man does. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Ephesians 2.8-9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God's terms for friendship with him, God's terms for reconciliation with him is the cross. It's the brazen altar of the tabernacle. It's the cross. It's at, that's where it starts. You enter the tabernacle, there's the altar. You want to be reconciled with God. You want friendship with God. You begin at the cross. That's the altar. You begin at the cross because that's where you kneel. And that's where you cry out to God with the words that the publican said in Luke 18, 13. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the words of beginning a friendship with God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then God says, all right now. Now we can be friends. Now we can be reconciled. And because he makes peace with sinners, at the altar, the brazen altar. He makes peace with sinners at the cross. That's what he meant when it says in Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The shovels, the pans that handled the ashes, they spoke of the completeness of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ash, the complete combustion, the symbol of complete combustion. All that could be burned was burned and symbolized by the ash. What did he say in John 4, 34? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work to bring it to ash all the way, to finish his work. So just as the ashes speak of the complete combustion, when he had completely finished the work of redemption on the cross, he cried out about that completeness. In John 19, 30, where we read, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. See, those are the ashes. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, There were no seats in the tabernacle. And that teaches us an object lesson. And it shows us that the work of redemption would not be complete 
until the final sacrifice. That's the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ was made. It was not complete. There were no seats in the tabernacle showing to us that this was a place of symbology that would only be fulfilled when the final sacrifice came. So there were no seats there. There were no seats there. The Lord Jesus Christ had to come. And the continual sacrifice of more and more and more and more animals only emphasized the fact that the final sacrifice hadn't come yet. Hebrews 10, 3-4 put it this way. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance, again, made of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. But so complete was his sacrifice, was the final sacrifice, was the ultimate sacrifice, was the redemptive sacrifice once for all, that he did something which was never allowed in the tabernacle. He sat down. He sat down. And that's what it means, it says in Hebrews 12, to looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down down on the right hand of the throne of God. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's recorded in Hebrews 10, 12. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Of all the pieces that were in the tabernacle there, there was only one piece, and that was the altar, that was carried with a beautiful covering. All the other pieces of the tabernacle, when they were being transported, were covered in the badger skins or the porpoise skins, drab-looking, but not the altar. The altar was covered in purple as it was transported from place to place. The public display of the altar was in purple. Purple speaks of his royalty. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ was being beaten publicly, by Roman soldiers, and they mocked him. You know what they did? They put on him a purple robe of majesty. This is what it says in John 19, 2-3. And the soldiers plated a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and smote him with his hands. And that brazen altar was seen with the purple as it was transported and traveling. And the Roman ruler Pilate presented the Lord Jesus Christ after he had beaten him through his soldiers. And he was still wearing the purple, as it says in John 19, 5. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Public display, the altar, purple. When he was on the cross, the altar, king of the Jews, was the sign that was over his head, purple. Now, the other piece that was in the outer court was the laver. That's the last piece that was in the outer court. It was the laver. It was a pool of water on a stand, and it had embedded into it, in the inside where the water was, highly polished pieces of metal. They were like mirrors. They were all over the bottom. And these were the looking glasses that the Jewish women had received from the Egyptian women when they left Egypt. And the laver was was also made of bronze. And the whole body of it, of the um, priests, 
the whole body of the priests, were washed at the laver only one time when they started their careers as priests. And after that, the priests only washed their hands and their feet in the laver every day. Before they did anything else, when they entered into the uh, tabernacle, they went right to the laver to wash their hands and their feet before they could touch the altar. The first stop was the laver. And the laver also had the blood of atonement sprinkled on it on the Day of Atonement, on the Yom Kippur, once a year. Now, sin, it really does two things. It does cause a terrible offense to God. That would be the outward part of sin. But sin does something awful inwardly as well. It causes a terrible defilement, a dirtiness. It makes a person unclean. When sin is finished, it's, there's uncleanness, and it needs to be cleansed. Every day, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ become defiled as they move through a world of defilement, a world of sin. There was no floor in the tabernacle And that showed that believers were not to be isolated from the world. They were to be insulated from sin in the world as the Lord Jesus Christ prayed, but not to be isolated. He said in John 17, 15, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. But it happens that sin gets in and so forth. And so therefore the labor is there for cleansing. We strive to keep ourselves clean, but the Lord Jesus Christ uh, told us through Moses in Leviticus 19.2, when he said to Moses, speak unto, the children of, speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, say unto them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And we go through life, and sometimes we get unholy. And God has a labor for us, and that's symbolized by the labor that was there in the tabernacle. Uncleanness happens. So every morning... Believers come like priests came into the tabernacle. And believers come to God's labor like the priests came to the labor of the tabernacle. And the labor for the believers is the Bible. And with an open heart, God cleanses through a special word that he gives right from God, from the Bible. And the labor speaks of the word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ speaking to his believers and he's cleansing us. It's all told in John 15, 3. Now you are clean, he said, through the word which I have spoken unto you. God knows that believers will sin. And so so as believers confess their sin to God and be honest with God and have a good look at themselves, and they come and it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Both problems taken care of. Offense toward God, forgiveness. Internal defiling, cleansing. But the first step before coming anywhere in the tabernacle is the labor. Straight to the labor. And the first step is to say, this is the place where I get real with God. Where I get honest with God. And I come here and I say, I'm not harboring any sin. I'm not protecting, guarding, or keeping in a secret place any sin. David, king of Israel, put it this way in Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But coming to God to be cleansed, you first have to take a good self-look at yourself. 
It says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, let a man examine himself. In other words, look into your heart. Is there sin here? Out it goes. Confess it. That's why on the surface of the bottom of the laver, there were those mirrors embedded in the bottom. So as the priest came and bent over the laver to clean himself, he saw himself. And that was God saying to them, have you taken a good look? Are you willing to confess what I see as sin? Are you willing to give it up and say it's not worth it? It's not worth my separation with God? Look at yourself in the bottom of the laver as you come to clean yourself. And that's why David, he prayed this prayer in Psalm 139, and he showed us how to ask God. He showed us how to not to protect sins. He showed us that we need to abandon them. And he said this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know what David was saying? I can't do it alone. I need your help, God. I need your searching help. I need your knowing heart, your knowing help. I need your fine feather duster. Here I am, Lord. Here's my heart. Come do it for me. I want rid of it. That's why the laver was covered with those mirrors on the bottom, because you're forced to see yourself as you really are. And then on the outer court, there was the gate. There was only one gate into the tabernacle, just one gate. And that gate showed us There's only one way to God. There's only one way to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said it, couldn't have been clearer. John 14, 6, when the Lord Jesus Christ, it says this, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. One gate, one way in. Many ways to that one gate, From outside, yes, but one gate into the tabernacle. Many ways to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, but one way to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have it. There is the great tabernacle. That's God's great object lesson. One simple message God has in this, and it's just this. He says, where we started, Exodus 25, 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God wants to dwell with us. God wants to be our friend. God wants we should have friendship with God, but on God's terms. What are God's terms? We just quoted it. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God's terms, one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about him, everything that he did, Everything is in Jesus. I find everything in him. God the Father gave us God the Son to die for us. John 3.16 states the whole tabernacle. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but shall have everlasting life. God wants you to have friendship with God. He wants the tabernacle to show you what God has done. God has done everything so that you and I can have friendship with God. So this friendship with God can start and never end. 
And if you'd like to have that friendship with God, if you want to start the friendship with God, the start the friendship with God that never ends, come. That's the message of the tabernacle. Come. Come to that altar. Be honest with God at that laver. Worship the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is enough his sacrifice as you go into the holy places, you go into the holy of holies. If you're willing to do that, if you're really willing to do that, pray with me right now. Pray the prayer I prayed. Pray the prayer countless have prayed in essence. Telling God as you come into that tabernacle, you go right to that laver, you look down at those mirrors, and you say, I am a sinner. Looking at that sacrificial altar and saying, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ died for my sins. And then open your heart to God and say, Amen. I want to be a child of God. I want friendship with God. Please forgive my sins. Be my Savior. Be my God. Pray with me the essence of that prayer right now in your heart. Father, I come to you and confess to you that just like those people who came before the labor, I am a sinner. Lord, I believe your Son sent God himself, died on a cross for my sins, and rose on the third day. I open the door of my heart and say, Lord Jesus, come in, be my Savior, be my Lamb of God, and be my God, as I want with all of my heart to start friendship with God today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer sincerely from your heart, you have begun friendship with God. God bless you. Tom, if one of our listeners today has responded to God's invitation to be friends, where does he or she go from here? That's a very good question. You know, it's very important to know where do you go, where are we going? This is a verse, this next verse, which gives us the goal, the destination, and it's Philippians 2.13. It's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The goal is for God to work in us so that we will have a changed will that we'll want to, our will will be his will, that we'll have changed actions. Our actions will be his actions that will accomplish his good pleasure. We want to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this requires a change in our will and a change in our actions, but not brought about from what we are doing in ourselves, but what God is doing in us. So what do we do? First of all, 1 Peter 2, 2. It says, as newborn babes, and you can consider yourself a newborn babe if you have prayed that prayer and come to the Lord Jesus Christ to be friends. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. You know, you may not like cauliflower, but if you eat cauliflower enough, you will like it. And he says, 
create the desire within you for the sincere milk of the Word. You may not like reading the Word of God, but you read it, and then the more you read it, the more you will like it, the more you will desire it. So it's a command. We're commanded to desire, to want the milk of the Word, the Word of God. Why? Because this Word that we are commanded to to want and to desire will change us from the inside. God will work in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And what should we do with the Word of God? Meditate on it, like a cow that chews its cud. Meditate. Psalm 1 says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night, all the time. The Bible, the Bible, and then more, the Bible. Day and night, meditate in the Word of God. That's what was told to Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So we take the Word of God. We desire it. We look at that Word of God, and we say, this is my food. This is my subject of what I will think about, what I will delight in, what I will make my delight day and night. And we grow there. We grow with it. And as we do that every day, Romans 12, 1, and two, we present our bodies a living sacrifice to God, and which says we are not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you've enjoyed our Thursday through Friday message series on the Tabernacle this month. We hope that those of you who are located near San Diego, California, can come out to visit our opening of the Tabernacle exhibit here on Saturday, September 29th on Museum Day, and that'll be at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. There you'll be able to meet Tom Cantor, as well as Ray Comfort and other guest speakers, as we open up the sight and sound display of the Tabernacle and the Age of the Earth Cave exhibit. So call us at 1-800-247-3051 if you'd like more information about our Saturday, September 29th Museum Day opening at the Creation and Earth History Museum here in Santee, California. So again, call us at 1-800-247-3051 or go to creationsd.org.